The C.L. Bryant Show on the Loving Liberty Radio Network. Broadcasting from within the borders of the greatest success story the world has ever known, the United States of America. It's time for an honest discussion from a fresh, new conservative voice. The C.L. Bryant Show. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody, throughout the fruited plains of the greatest nation on the face of the planet. The greatest success story the world has ever known, and that is uh, America. I want to thank each and every one of you for coming along with us as we build the bridge to conversation throughout our great nation. You're listening to the C.L. Bryant Show. I am C.L. Bryant, and hey, we got a fantastic show for you here today. We're also going to insert into this show a uh, true dedication to Americans uh, of black ancestry in this country who fought in uh, the wars, the Civil Wars, and the Spanish-American Wars. They were known as Buffalo Soldiers. Yeah, they are a forgotten uh, group of men in many cases, but today we want to uh, bring them back to the fore because they did what they did in order for all of us, even at this present time, to look at ourselves as people who were victorious instead of people who were victims. Uh, I think if uh, the Buffalo soldier or any soldier from the past era, any of the civil rights workers, uh, anyone from the past era, if they could see the state of black America now, as far as the mindset is concerned, not as far as that economy is concerned, uh, black America is taking advantage of the economy, but there are certain pockets, there are certain groups that have been um, co-opted, uh, corralled, uh, brought in to the web of deception that they cannot overcome obstacles that everyone else has to overcome if you're going to succeed in this nation. Are you hearing me? That's what we are looking to shed light on here today. The mission, the purpose of the soldier, whether it's red, yellow, black or white, then is still uh, the mission and the purpose today. Some of them went in uh, to the military to avoid going to jail. Let's just face it. Uh, Some uh, went into the military because they felt a true call of duty to a nation that they did not yet realized to be solely and purely their own back in the day, back during the Buffalo Soldier days. But today, many go in because they have a true calling, and they know that this country is the greatest and most exceptional nation on the face of the planet. They know this. And so when we think about uh, how we have evolved and that's what's that's what's happened. We have evolved uh, 
in so many ways. But yet we are at the same time devolving in ways that Dr. King would have never imagined. Malcolm X would have never imagined us devolving. It seems as though the closer we get to the prize, the more you have someone or something wanting to crawfish crawfish you back into the pail, into the bucket. The closer you get to the prize, huh? keeping the eye on the prize, you remember that? Keep your eye on the prize, you remember that? Huh? That's actually the Apostle Paul. You have to press forward to the mark of a higher calling. You press toward the prize, right? You keep your eye on the prize. But it seems as though the closer that some get to the prize, the more there are some who want to crawfish you back into the bucket, the pail. And... Somehow, I I think that, in in my way of thinking, I'm thinking that those who came before us, I'm talking going all the way back to Dwight Eisenhower, who actually put on the table the first civil rights bill in 1957. Yeah, the one that uh, Lyndon Johnson and John F. Kennedy voted against. You're you're aware of that, right? Yeah, it was Dwight David Eisenhower a Republican president who actually put the first civil rights legislation in front of Congress. It was voted down. And two of the people who voted it down are now legends of the civil rights movement. Isn't that strange? But you never hear the name of Dwight David Eisenhower who tried to put it through eight years before Kennedy ever came along. Johnson was in the was in the uh, the Senate. Well, Kennedy, Kennedy was, too, because Kennedy voted against Eisenhower's uh, civil rights bill. He voted against it. So did Lyndon Johnson. Uh, get my movie. Get Runaway Slave. We have it. In, we, we, it's an award winning film. Get it. You will see the truth of this matter. And so I'm thinking that the, the, even Dwight Eisenhower, Martin King, Malcolm X, you name them, Everett Dirksen, the Republican senator, for, senator from Illinois, if in fact he had not voted in the affirmative in 1964, the Civil Rights Act would not have passed. So it's 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 always been the Republicans, the the the, land, the party of free men, that's always pushed forward legislation that somehow now Democrats take credit for. But you know, I know, and I share with you daily the true essence of how this game is played, and the story of. History, the, the history is always recorded. History is always told by those who are in power. Are you hearing me? History is always told by those who are in power. But, you know, I'm also thinking that if Frederick Douglass, Booker T. Washington, were to actually take a look at the opportunities that are so readily available for the former Negro in this country, 
as they were. If Booker T. Washington, who was a Negro, uh, if Frederick Douglass could see the opportunities that's available to black people in this country now, in a time when he was politely, if called politely, a Negro, if he could see the advantages that we squander on a day-to-day, month-to-month, year-in, year-out basis, and then want to be victims behind the squandering, if, in fact, they could see it, they would not believe what their eyes would show them about the uh, attitudes that black America has toward a country that they paid big dues, huge dues, for us to have the benefits that we have today. And yet, for some reason, we would like, the progressive liberals would like for you to think that you're battling 1965 all over again. You're not. I was there. I was 10 years old. I've drank from the colored and white water fountains. I drank from them both. And let me tell you, white folks, something. Uh, If you think the water, you were getting a big deal on on drinking from a a white-only water fountain, wrong. I drank from them both. The water was the same. But if young people today somehow think that they're living in the 60s, they are woefully wrong. And the opportunities that's all around America today for young whites, young blacks, for them to squander it is absolutely shameful. No less than a, than a crime, especially when you take into account those who came before you who wish, who would have done anything to have the same type of opportunity that you enjoy at this point in time. And so today we're going to take a look back at the uh, Buffalo Soldier and uh, perhaps why he joined uh, the military, why he went into the military. Uh I want to, my my great-grandfather was Spanish-American War. He would have been considered a a Buffalo soldier. But we didn't know much about it. The family, you know, never, only here in the last 20 years, 30 years, has anyone paid attention to great-grandpa's story? All you know is that, uh, you know, he was in the Spanish-American War, but there's a lot, a lot of history there. That we don't know. I wish I had known. I, I, I'm telling you something. I wish that my grandfather had been able to tap in more to his father's story as a Spanish-American War veteran. I wish that my father had tapped into his father's story more as a World War I veteran. And I would to God that I had tapped into my father's story because he was a World War II veteran. Why didn't we pass down these stories? Why didn't we? But they would be absolutely, including my father who passed away 40 years ago, my father would be absolutely stunned at how we squander the opportunities that he and my mother fought valiantly for. And, and when you look at the, the state of education in this country, the first schools that I went to were absolutely segregated. 
Yeah, Central Free Methodist. It was a, a black private school. My dad was able to send me to a, a Christian school. Even then, that was the best education. But we had second-rate books. Yeah, it, it was just that it wasn't the, the public school. But we had second-rate books because they were hand-me-downs from other schools, other white private schools. They were hand-me-downs. Yeah. And so, and so the, the, the educational system here in this country, even though when I was in school and then finally went on to public school and junior high school during the integration period, we integrated Strange thing about integration. It drove the private black school out of business. Oh, yeah. Now, blacks go to school with white folks. So the education, the textbooks were different. They were better. And it drove private black schools out of business. For those who wanted their child to have a a decent education, it drove them out of business in their own neighborhoods. Because now black people could go to school with white folks who and you had better books. Right. So there was no real need to spend that money on a private school and the private schools went out of business. Okay, And there was one thing that we always knew about the black teacher. We knew this about him or her. And I'm not saying that uh, integration was a bad thing. I'm not saying that segregation was a good thing. I am saying this, though. There was one thing that every student, every black student knew in a segregated school for themselves that they didn't have to be told. They knew that that black teacher wanted them to succeed. They knew that. And... There was a statement or a mantra almost among black folks back in that time, and it was called being a credit to your race. Yeah, you had to be serious about education so that you could be a credit to your race. And the whole idea was not to be a victim, but to be victorious. That was the whole idea, was not to be a victim, but to be victorious. And so that's what we must continue to do, is shed light on the victorious aspects of life in America for everybody. And how we make that work for everybody. And the, and the only way to make that work for everybody is to get everybody in the mindset that they live in an exceptional nation. Not a perfect nation, but an exceptional nation that if you want to, you can be whatever you want to be. That wasn't the world that my great-grandfather grew up in. That wasn't the world that my grandfather grew up in. It certainly was not the world that my father grew up in. And it was not the world that I was born into. But it is the world that any child born after 1980. (laughs) You were born into a world that was totally, totally, totally different. 
than the one that I knew. And you, there is no way that I am going to let you get away with uh, plagiarizing, stealing, uh, the stolen valor that is so amazing uh, that's going on today of civil rights workers. There's no way that I'm going to let you steal their valor because you can go to any sandwich shop. You can eat at any restaurant. You can try to get any job if you pull your pants up that you want. You can do, you can be president of the United States if you do the right thing to do it, if you want to do it. That's one thing I will give Barack Obama credit for. Barack Obama wanted to be president. And so it was. You can do it. When I was coming along, what's not going to happen Uh, In fact, we were not even going to entertain that happening. You can do it. So I'm not going to sit here and let any of you confound the issues of the times that we live in by saying that somehow we're living back in Jim Crow era. That is the biggest lie. That can possibly be told. You don't know what Jim Crow was like. I do. So please don't insult those who came before you and actually endured that type of thing. I have ridden on the back of the bus. I have gone and sat through the, the at the other end of the counter where only black people could sit or go around to the back and get your food from that window. I've been to Negro Day at the State Fair, the only day that black folks could go to the State Fair. I was there. So don't tell me, millennials, and those of you born after 1980, that somehow you're living in Jim Crow America. Please. But the progressive liberals would have you believe that. They want you to think that. And they're not going to rest until they have you totally brainwashed into thinking that the most prosperous nation on the face of the earth at this moment, with the most booming economy, with the most jobs that are available, we have 7 million jobs in surplus, meaning we have more jobs available in America now than we have people to fill them. In some states, we have 2% unemployment. The national unemployment rate is 3.5%. Black unemployment is historically low. Latino unemployment, historically low. Do not tell me. Black millionaires are coming out of the woodwork. Do not tell me that you're living in Jim Crow America. You'll be an idiot to believe that. I'll be back. This is the C.L. Bryant Show. We're going to talk more here with you when I return.
Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. are lifted high Our hearts are bowing and CL back with you on this great day in the USA As you all know Jane and I have moved uh, to the Colorado Rocky Mountain Range here and uh, it is absolutely gorgeous it really is today it's a uh, uh, sort of snowing outside and and everything cold and and all of that and I want to thank all of you for helping uh, make this show as popular as it has become here over the most uh, listened to talk platform in the nation that is Red State, Red State Talk Radio. If you're traveling through Times Square, be sure to look up above Ripley's Believe It or Not, and you will see the Red State uh, billboard there uh, above Ripley's. And every hour, 24 hours a day, the C.L. Bryant Show does pop up on that billboard, and old C.L.'s face is looking right back at you. Hey, folks, we were uh, talking about the contribution of those who came before us and how they might actually be totally appalled at uh, some of the attitudes that people born after 1980 take toward race, civil rights, and uh, the exceptional nation that America has become and the, the nation that it is. Frederick Douglass would be surprised at the attitudes of blacks toward this nation. Uh, Martin Luther King, I do believe, would be surprised. Booker T. Washington... And certainly Dwight David Eisenhower, who put the very first civil rights bill in front of Congress back in 1957, that Lyndon Johnson and John F. Kennedy voted against. The Buffalo soldier who roamed the plains of America and the West, uh, his story is so silent in uh, our country. It wasn't the last maybe 20, 30 years when Glory uh, came out. It was a great film. Morgan Freeman, Denzel Washington, host of great uh, uh, movies. Uh, Matthew Broderick, they uh, starred in this film. And one of the questions that I want to talk about with my next guest, uh, Peter Vicenzi, is um, going to be, could we actually make a film like Glory today? Would that be possible? I want you to help me welcome to the show uh, uh, our press secretary at FreedomWorks. And if you want to become a part of a movement, you be sure to go to FreedomWorks.org, FreedomWorks.org. Org and become a part of a movement that is dedicated to educating American public on the uh, realities of what has made our nation the most exceptional on the face of the earth. So help me welcome uh, to the show now my good friend and also our press secretary, Peter Vicenzi. Welcome back to the C.L. Bryant Show. How are you, friend? 
Hey, CL. How's it going? I'm good. Thanks for having me, having me on again. Really glad to have you on, Pete. Uh, and, you know, you and I, I forget what city we were in, but we were having lunch or we were having dinner. And uh, yeah. you and I, we were kicking around uh, a lot of topics that we could talk about and so forth. Uh, as far as, you know, doing radio and what have you. And you happened to mention to me a question. You have to ask a question. And it has been something that's been on my mind. It's been almost a year. Um, could the, the film Glory be made today or would it uh, come up against a lot of pushback because maybe it's not politically correct? What do you say about it? Well, first of all, you know, that's probably one of the most politically correct, historically correct, um, and, you know, a bigger picture movies, you know, ever made a civil war. If you're looking at everything that's ever been made, that's got to be one of those accurate presentations. Um, you know, there's a couple minor details people will get into, but if you're looking for, you know, the, um, the black American soldiers life in the American civil war and kind of what happened, that's what you want to watch. I mean, it's an excellent film. You've talked about it. It's got, you know, it's rare that you have a movie with all these big stars in it that's actually good to be uh to, to start with but uh you know just you're talking about freedom works you know place we both work freedom works activists or um you know the people in glory would have been freedom works activists these days i think yeah yeah. Yeah. You know, you're right. Uh, as far as that's concerned, uh, Pete, I think you're absolutely right. As far as that's concerned, um, let me ask you this, then let's sort of identify who the Buffalo soldier is, was, how they get the name. Pete, you've done some research on this. So talk to us about who the Buffalo soldier was and were they, you already mentioned that they were depicted correctly in the movie glory, but there was a broader uh, uh, mission that the Buffalo soldier uh, was about as well. Talk to us a little bit about him. So yeah, you, you're, you almost got it right there. Theo. Um, but we got to take this one step back. Uh, the Buffalo soldiers, the, the ones you're talking about. So they were the, uh, uh, black soldiers who served in the U.S. cavalry, the, uh, 10th and 9th cavalry regiments in the Indian Wars. You know, what we're talking about fighting out west, uh, what you think of fighting against the Indians, building forts, protecting settlers, stuff like that. That's what the, uh, you know, we know the Buffalo soldiers today. Uh, but just to, we'll get back to them in a sec, but to take a step back, we gotta look back to the, the American Civil War. And that's where, you know, glory comes in. Uh, and these, at the outset of the Civil War, you didn't really see black soldiers serving in the Union Army. Uh, that's, you know, due to the prejudices of the time. Uh, many in Congress didn't want blacks serving alongside white soldiers. Lots of reasons for that they gave back then. Um, you know, much of it just grounded in, uh, in race. But at, as the years went on, finally, uh, you know, people came around to the idea of, you know, having uh, black soldiers serve in the Union Army. And some of the first people pushing this were people like Frederick Douglass, uh, you know, one of one of the first Republicans, one of the best Republicans, in my opinion. And he said something that I remember uh, goes along like uh, once let the black man get upon his person, the brass letter U.S., let him get an eagle on his button and a musket on his shoulder and bullets in his pocket. There is no power on earth that can deny that he has earned the right to citizenship. Now, he's talking about, he's talking about their black soldiers serving in the union army and finally congress gives the approval uh for the union army to start raising regiments of black troops now it's not like today where you have uh you know 
um, a, a desegregated army and everyone can serve alongside each other. These were regiments of uh, black soldiers led by white officers. And, I'm, you know, if you've seen the movie Glory, you're familiar with that. Yes. Uh, but, you know, Lincoln ends up crediting these guys with, you know, helping turn the course of the war. Because, you know, the American Civil War, you know, tremendous casualties on both sides. By the end of the war, uh, what we call the U.S. Color Troops, which were these regiments of black soldiers, they were essentially the shock troops of the Union Army. And they're, you know, Grant credits them as some of the best depth disciplined soldiers in the Union Army by the end of the war. So you can really point to them as helping turn the course of the war. And, you know, in my opinion, they embody, you know, what this war is being fought for uh, on the side of the Union. I mean, they're, in some cases, literally soldiers off to free their families, who the people who have fled slavery and come back, um, as they say in glory, come back fighting men uh, who are, you know, there to liberate and to, you know, restore the Union. And when but, we, Pete, let me ask you this. Yeah. Let me ask you this, because I want to interject this into this conversation. When we think about the film, the movie Glory, uh, of course, you had uh, someone, uh, Denzel Washington played this character. He played a character who was uh, an escaped slave. Uh, he was angry, but he found pride in exactly what Frederick Douglass said he would find pride in. And that is the fact that he was able to contribute to his own freedom. Is that still the thing that uh, I think when we talk, not even if you're not in the military, but I'm talking about activists that we have throughout the nation as uh, uh, two, two people who uh, work with Freedom Works. Isn't that still very important to the American story to actually contribute to your own freedom and liberty? Talk to us. Of course it is, CL, and you know it's about enabling people to do that. Uh, I, I'll go back to another um, Frederick Douglass quote, uh, quote that I know. Um, it starts as, uh, "There is no Negro problem. The problem is whether the American people have loyalty enough, enough, or honor enough, patriotism enough to live up to their own constitution." About the founding ideals, right there. Uh, the, you know the the whole idea of our constitution that all men are created equal and. In Denzel's case, in Glory, he is fighting to, you know, ensure that all men are created equal. I mean, that's the um, uh, people talk about how slavery is the original sin of the United States. And they're, you know, they're correct about that. And like I said, uh, you know, the black soldiers, the U.S. colored troops and the U.S. Civil War are kind of the, the manifestation of that fight. I mean, they're literally man fighting to set his brethren free. Absolutely. And folks, that is still the fight, whether you're and certainly we want to glorify and we want to buy a meal every time you run into uh, one of our men and women in blue in a restaurant, pick up the tab uh, for them, uh, do that type of thing. But I'm talking we're talking expanding that to you, the Americans. Liberty and freedom is still something that is necessary to be fought for and to be won, to be gained. You know, uh, Pete, uh, I'm really glad that you mentioned on uh, both of your, your statements, uh, Frederick Douglass, as well uh, as uh, he was a great friend of Lincoln. He was a great friend of the uh, movement to give women the right to vote uh, and, and all of that. And the statements that he's making now. Do you think that somebody like Douglass and, of course, uh, full disclosure, Peter grew up. 
in a white family. I grew up in a black family. But we're having this conversation together because it builds the bridge. This is the conversation that America, white and black, whatever color scheme you happen to be, and it's a shame that we have to always refer to each other in that way, but since we do, uh, for the sake of conversation, this is the conversation that America should be having. And Peter, why don't we have this conversation? What is political correctness? Where did it come from? And is it poisoning our American um, ability to converse? Uh, well, to answer your last question, I think it definitely is. And I think that you hear the most political, the most calls for political correctness uh, coming from people who themselves aren't political, politically correct, you know, they're putting on a charade. The people who I've heard in my own experience, I mean, I grew up in deep blue Maryland. I went to a liberal arts school. The people who talk about political correctness are rich white folks. That's what I've uh, seen, you know, across the board every time. And these are people who, uh, you know, would treat a black person differently when they came in the room purely because of the color of their skin. It's where you get all the things about, uh, you know, tokenism and treating people differently, like literally just because of how they look. But you see that, I think, it's still an anecdote, but I think most people would agree with me. You see that most often from, uh, you know, wealthy white liberals. They are the biggest hypocrites on the planet white liberals are the biggest hypocrites on the planet and you know who goes along with the white liberal as the biggest hypocrite on the planet the black liberal is also the biggest maxine waters is the biggest hypocrite one of them on the planet why because that's the tent that liberals live under it's a tent of hypocrisy pete i think we saw a little bit of that uh when we uh going down this rabbit trail when we saw the impeachment of the president uh that we saw the hypocrisy everywhere and friends when we talk about the attitude of liberals toward black people i have experienced what peter has talked about my guest is peter vicenzi who is on with me press secretary for freedom works uh, the world's most renowned united states most renowned grassroots activist organization go to freedomworks.org but pete i saw what you uh, identified when i in some places that i still go today if i go to the northeast i can walk into a room and i know i know that they're treating me in such a way i mean it may be good it may be bad what have you but they actually treat me differently just because I happen to be black. Conversations change just because I happen to be black. And I'm thinking that until we are able to change that, uh, we will continue to have the problem. Is it possible that uh, you're uh, many years younger than I am? Your dad and I are in the same age bracket, so you're as young as my son. You and my son are in the same age bracket. Is that going? Are you all going to change this, Peter, and how are we going to do it? Hey, we... uh well, you know, the, the best thing I can tell people is, hey, read your history. That's what I've told people for years. I mean, I told people that in college. The people who are, you know, purport themselves to be the most politically correct are usually the ones who've never cracked the history book. They couldn't have told you any of the stuff we were just talking about, about the U.S. Uh, college troops during the Civil War. It's because they don't, they simply don't understand context. And, you know, in my 
opinion. I, it seems to me I, I've got plenty of you know very smart liberal friends, but you have plenty of. Uh, but most conservatives understand the founding ideals of this nation and how they, you know, there's no racial lines for that. There's no identity politics in any of that. It's all about the individual and the content of their character. And that's what makes us the, the, the different country in the world, the best country in the world, because of our founding beliefs. And by engaging in identity politics, you take the best part of America and throw it out the window. You know this, CL. Yeah. And you know what, uh, Pete? I, I think uh, you, you've touched upon something uh, that we really do need to have, and that is a Freedom Works Forum that will broach this particular topic with young people, people my age, black people, white people. We need to have a Freedom Works Forum. And wherever you are, you might need to put together a forum of your own and so that you can have a conversation. But you know what the problem is, folks? We have become so politically correct we can't talk to one another anymore without becoming offended and uh, we we just can't and it's, it's 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 really a handicap that we have placed up on ourselves peter let me ask you this um as far as american history and i know that history is often told by the people who are in power and all that type of thing we understand that uh the native american story would be a totally different story in our history books if it was told by native americans but uh if we were to analyze why the black soldier, the the soldier that we saw portrayed in glory, uh, why is their story not told uh, as forthrightly as some other stories? In your opinion, why do you think that is? You know, know, I think a lot of it does have to do with, um, uh, with Reconstruction, the way that Reconstruction ended up in the late 19th century. I mean, you... Uh, there's there's too much going on the killing reconstruction and what was it uh, 1879 and it, and it didn't go through as it was supposed to as uh, well Lincoln wanted to I mean it, of course you know Lincoln unfortunately is, is assassinated in the last couple months of the war on you know on Good Friday mind you you know take a look at that for what it's worth but uh, it, there are too many inherent how pre-construction played out that led to this you might have heard um the lost cause you're breaking uh, up you're breaking up or, you're breaking up a little bit on me on me there peter uh go ahead can you hear me now yeah i got you you, you, got, you got you real good there yeah. you've heard of the uh the the, the lost cause yes it's a kind of view of the war it's just it, it is a revisionist people talk about revisionist history today uh, about you know the uh, liberals are changing how we view our history, which is definitely true to some extent, but there's also revisionism when you talk about the American Civil War. Most of the, a lot of the views that we have been ingrained in American culture about the American Civil War actually came about as a reaction to the Civil Rights Movement in the 1960s. It's and that's where you lose these stories about the contributions of black Americans during the Civil War, like the U.S. color troops, like the 54th Massachusetts, or Connecticut, who my friend's uh, you know grandfather served, or great-great-great-grandfather served. Hold that thought right there. Hold that thought right there. Peter Vicenzi, we run up against the clock. Uh, you're listening to the C.L. Bryant Show. I am C.L. Bryant. We're on with Freedom Works. Peter Vicenzi. When we return, we will continue. I was worth saving, so you came and changed my life. You thought I was worth saving. 
Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Stand up for America. Then Americans, stand up, stand up, stand up. God bless you. God bless America. I do the best I can. Always lend a helping hand. And for the flag I stand. CL back with you on this great day in the USA. We have been on with my colleague, FreedomWorks, FreedomWorks.org. If you want to become a part of a movement, be sure to go to FreedomWorks, FreedomWorks.org and become a part of uh, the nation's most effective, active grassroots organization. That is FreedomWorks. We have uh, its press secretary on with us, and we have... uh, been talking about the uh, soldier, the the colored troop soldiers back in the Civil War era and why their story uh, has not been told as accurately as uh, it was told in uh, glory. And why isn't it told for um, American young people so that we can understand that the contribution that was made by black soldiers and black people in particular uh, has been just as precious and important to this country as the contributions of any other soldier uh, that has uh, been uh, on the front lines or fighting wars for this country. And so, Peter, let's continue with uh, this conversation. You were mentioning to us that you have a friend whose um, grandfather, a great-grandfather, may have ser- did serve in the Ma- in Massachusetts. Uh, what was that, the 49th? Uh, talk to us about that. Or, so he actually, yeah, this is a friend. I, I, I used to do uh, a lot of Civil War reenacting back in college and high school, which is, you know, a very, very interesting time in my life. But uh, one of my friends from that, his, uh, actually a white guy, his uh, great, great, great uh, grandfather, I believe, served, I believe, in the 29th Connecticut uh, U.S. Country. He was actually one of the white officers in the uh, in that regiment. But he's, you know, read his letters and goes to the African-American Civil War Monument here in D.C. And it can actually find his name on there along with the uh, the comrades the, the guy survived the war and everything but uh you know this is how i learned uh, so much about this you know it sparked my interest into reading up on you know kind of these uh in many ways forgotten uh regiments in our you know our national heritage it's important to keep remembering but still let me go back to what we were talking about way earlier in the program and we were talking about could glory be made today and I want to be honest. I can. I. I'd say no. Do you agree? I. I would agree with you on that, Peter, because we would have to get through all of the loopholes of how it would make 
someone today. How long ago? It was 30. How long was it? 20 years ago, 25, 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're, we're talking 30 years ago that this movie was made. And Pete, this is the interesting thing about 30 years ago and today. Somehow our feelings have become more sensitive than they were 30 years ago toward race. I don't understand it. How is it that a movie like Glory could be made 30 years ago, but it could not be made in the year 2020 without political backlash? Does that speak to something, Peter? And give us let's let's talk about what does that speak to? I think it speaks to a sort of regression in our political landscape, in our national landscape, and certainly in our personal uh, lands uh, uh, way that we treat each other as Americans. Talk to us about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, the first thing I can think about is what's the that movie or before the very end what's the in the final battle what's denzel doing when he gets killed he's, he's holding up the flag. american flag he got the flag holding, yeah man <laughs> wait, wait, are you allowed to do that in a movie now wow <laughs> <laughs> i mean especially you know uh, coming from denzel you i could see people being pissed about how that movie ends saying that oh he would never have done that for a nation that hates him but he does that, and half their regiment died fighting the, the freedoms they enjoy under the Constitution for our founding documents. And you, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that is amazing. You know what, Pete? I, I hadn't thought about that. You know, uh, he, the, the cannons blew him away for sure. Uh, when, 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 the, when the gates opened, swung open, the cannons blew him away. But Denzel was charging down the throat of that cannon with the American flag. You know what? You're right, Pete. If, in fact, that scene was shot today, Denzel would be labeled an Uncle Tom. It, it's just it's just sad to think about. And, and this is the conversation, folks. Whether you are ready for it or not, this is the conversation that has to be had. What has changed in America from then until now? Listen, man, I went to see this film at the theater. My wife and I, Jane, went to see this this film at the, uh, at the, at the theaters. There were black people. There were white people. There were all types of people there. Listen. That scene, red, yellow, black, and white, whoever you were in the movie house brought tears to the eye. It did. Now it brings contempt. Pete, we have to turn this around. What can we do? What can we do on college campuses? Are young people open for this type of thing? Talk to us. Hey, young people are always open. Most of their minds are empty enough to be a blank canvas. You know, I know enough people. <laughs> but, uh, we got, look at me. <laughs> but, um, no, hey, you know, you got to do, you got to get organized. Do what the left has done. The left gets organized and they get, they get organized at younger ages. You know, we have to start organizing and, you know, having our, you know, people join groups that make sense. Join groups like Young Americans for Liberty. Hell, even join your uh, your uh, college Republicans group because they're the only people who are going to stick up for these kind of things on college campuses. You know, when we, uh, Pete, I want you to stay with me even through the break. Got about seven minutes left in uh, this um, segment here. We have a lot to talk about. I want to close out our discussion on the uh, black 
civil rights soldier. And I want to touch now briefly on the Buffalo soldier uh, as far as his contribution was concerned to America. I've seen, uh, I think it's in Birmingham. Is it Birmingham, Alabama? I've seen one of the gr- a great monument. Huntsville. It's Huntsville, Alabama, that I saw a great monument uh, to the uh, Buffalo soldier there. You talked about the National Monument there in D.C. where you are. Um, give us an idea of uh, that Buffalo soldier and the times where he lived in many American soldiers when they returned from Afghanistan. I know this happened to the Vietnam soldier uh, when they came back from Vietnam. Is what the, the Buffalo soldier was not welcome in some places, as you were saying about the segregated uh, troops in World War One and two uh, before um, Truman integrated the the the, uh, the military. Uh, is that something that people in America have always been prone to do is take out frustrations on the uniformed of uh, representative of the American uh, government. Talk to us about that. I know that you like to study this type of thing. Yeah, you know, it's something that we've seen time and time again in American history. But, you know, like we were talking about earlier, just to be clear, Buffalo soldiers are the, they were U.S. cavalry soldiers who served out west in Indian country during the Indian Wars, uh, late 19th century after the Civil War. And they had their precursors in the U.S. color troops that we just, you know, we talked about. But the Buffalo Soldiers were cavalry who, you know, fought the Indian Wars. They built forts. They protected settlers. And also, you know, they also protected Indians against other Indians or settlers, things like that. They basically were federal troops out in the West. And these are the guys who fought in uh, Cuba during the Spanish-American War who helped uh, Teddy Roosevelt storm San Juan Hill. They covered him, actually, while he, he did that. He helped, they helped him take it. Uh, and these are the same guys who took part in the Pancho Villa raid. But the reason a lot of them actually served was because of prejudice that they found in their own communities, because a lot of them came from the American South during Reconstruction. And the reason a lot of them joined the Buffalo Soldiers, these uh, like the 10th and 9th uh, U.S. Cavalry Regiments, is because they were guaranteed certain rights under the U.S. Constitution that weren't uh, uh, you know, enforced in the, uh, antebe- in the uh, postbellum South. And this, my friends, is why. We need to have this conversation. What if liberals were telling this story? They would tell it from a standpoint of victimhood. The standpoint that Peter and I are trying to tell this story from is a standpoint of victory and victorious. Uh, it, it is all contributed at being victorious. It is all contributed to the strength of America. Peter, you are a millennial, and uh, I want to ask you um, this question then when we talk about uh, how to get across a message. Is it important for us to understand the workings of uh, social media? Is it important to engage one another, people in my age bracket, to engage with you in your age bracket on social media? How important is that? I have about three minutes left in this segment, but I want you to st- stay with me. 
Yeah, definitely. You know, it's important to be on social media and be engaged, especially, you know, the thing we do at FreedomWorks, we're holding, you, you have to hold your elected officials accountable. If you see them posting stuff that you don't like, you let them know about it. Hey, you, you're their constituent. You got to let them know. But it's also important, you know, just if you see stuff on your Facebook that you think is wrong, call it out. You know, make sure you're right, but call it out. Too many people get away with complete BS on their uh, their Facebook feed you know, uh, filling everything with lies that, and no one calls them out on. I see it every day. I see it from, you know, my friends. And of course there's people you never want to talk to or comment on, but you know, you got to put people in their place sometimes. And sometimes folks, that's exactly what must occur. Peter, when we return after the break, I'm on with Peter Vicenzi, uh, the press secretary for FreedomWorks. Go to FreedomWorks.org and become a part of a movement. And when we come back after uh, the break... Peter and I are going to talk about some things that are going on at FreedomWorks and some things that uh, you might want to go to that website and find out how to become involved with, especially if you're living up there in the Virginia, D.C., Maryland area. Uh, you might want to become a part of some of the things that are going on. You certainly want to tune in to the um, uh, newsletters and the news releases that FreedomWorks has. And Peter is the person who can hook you up and tell you how to get involved with that. And we're going to talk about that when I return with more of the C.L. Bryant Show right here coast to coast and border to border throughout the fruited plains of the greatest nation on the face of the planet. I want to remind you all that if you're traveling through Times Square, look up above Ripley's Believe It or Not. And uh, right above that, I iconic building is the red state talk billboard and every hour on the hour the cl well not on the hour but every hour in the hour the cl bryant show pops up there on that billboard and old cl's face is looking right back at you there in times square just about a block and a half from where they drop the ball in times square hey friends i'm gonna tell you one more time be sure to download free the C.L. Bryant Show app onto your favorite device. If you don't get both hours of the show, be sure to listen to it on the C.L. Bryant Show app. T-H-E, the C.L. Bryant Show app. We're going to return after these brief words after the top of the hour with Peter Vicenzi, who is the Secretary, press secretary for FreedomWorks, Washington, D.C., FreedomWorks.org. I'm CL. Be right back. Don't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. 